Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Borders seem to be all over the news lately. You've got trade wars, Brexit, and of course, Trump's wall. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring how borders are created and blurred in the world of food. We try to focus a lot on the fact that they are chefs by nature, uh, that the refugee thing is just a status for them. And after the Soviet space ended, I don't think there was much research. It was all considered just Soviet food or Russian food. And I don't think it gives a lot of those cultures credit. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to A Hungry Society. I'm Korsha Wilson and this is the show where we talk about food, food media, and so much more. I'm very excited about this show because it's the first in a two-part series highlighting Peru and Peruvian chefs. I had uh, the incredible, wonderful opportunity to travel to Peru last year with World's 50 Best and learn about the incredible foodways there and meet some of the country's most talented chefs. It was absolutely life-changing, and I had some of the best food in my entire life on the trip. Uh, and one of my favorite restaurants was Statera in Lima, Peru. And the chef there is Andre Petsias. He's worked in some of the world's best kitchens, including Noma, Astrid and Gaston, and Central, run by Virgilio Martinez in Lima, who's considered to be one of the best chefs in the world. Andre was only 26 years old when he opened Statera, and it's already become one of the best restaurants in Lima and in the country. It's seriously amazing. And he's blending indigenous Peruvian ingredients with modern techniques. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. Andre, welcome to Hungry Society. Hello, Portia. It's a pleasure being, being, being with you right now. <laughs> um, and you are How's actually... Going? It's good. It's, go, it's going really well. It's cold and rainy here. Um, what's it like in Lima? Oh, it's really hot right now. <laughs> we were in summer season around 35 degrees today so it's really really hot i'm i'm really excited to have you on the show you are our first international caller it's an honor for me kosha <laughs> definitely Very yeah thankful for, for, for this opportunity and, and thanks a lot and you're actually in the restaurant right now um are you are you getting yeah, ready I'm, for for dinner Yes, I'm actually uh, ending, uh, ending lunch service. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm in the office at the second floor right now. Uh, we have, uh, it's been a really crazy day today. Mm -hmm. We've been like overbooked uh, for lunch, for dinner service, and, and it's actually good. we're doing actually really good here. There's a lot of work, a lot of energy to be to be used, and really happy. So in the intro, I talked about Statera and how you use Peruvian ingredients. Um, how do you describe Statera to, to people who haven't been there? Statera definitely has a, a, a proposal where, where we travel a lot around the region. We have uh, many different places. And 
across Peru from the highlands, the highland lagoons, the rainforest, the desert, the mangroves, uh, many, 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 many different kind of ecosystems which make our food uh, very diverse. And we as a chefs take advantage of that. So uh, nowadays, uh, the, the menu that we have, uh, the one you, you, you ate, mm -hmm. uh, eight different regions in Peru, the mangroves, the desert, the highlands, the Amazonic rainforest, uh, the, the deep sea, the coastland, and the altiplanic lagoons. No? So it's very informative in which we forage different kinds of ingredients and produce. And we, we, we focus a lot to, to bring to the table produces that have never been sold or, or, or made here in Peru, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and we combine this with, uh, with all the, the, the trips that we make. We've done for this first menu 28 different flights in, in Lima region, in Peru region. Uh, so there's a lot of investigation, uh, hospitalization, uh, and deep work, you know, mm -hmm. a multidisciplinary team that uh, challenges us every day, you know. Yeah, so, um, you know, you're speaking about the different regions of Peru, and the, Peru is so diverse in terms of landscape and, and, and geology. Um, we, we got to go to... The, the highlands of Peru, which was so incredible and is like where you source some of your ingredients from, right? Exactly. I have there, I work in a collaboration with, with, with a family that, well, it's actually a group of families that own this land that more than 5,600 5,600 meters above sea level in a region called Jauja in Huancayo City, which is at the central south of Peru on the highlands. And it's actually really difficult to get there. It's extreme altitude. It's really hard to breathe. It's yes, really hard to walk. I remember you know? that. <laughs> it was very hard to breathe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really hard, you know, but that, that, that may keep, make it make make it for us much more interesting, you know, mm -hmm. to more adventure, you know, a bit more of adrenaline. And we met these, these families, and, and now we're working in a collaboration in which uh, we support them, uh, helping them, uh, we support them with knowledge, and definitely some, and buy the producers that we want them to harvest. But probably they are not sending to Lima these small potatoes or these small tubers, because for them, they're too small, and they don't see a profit on them, but for us, they are gold, you know, for the mm -hmm. pressure, for the tasting menus, you know, for for our for our menus. So we, we, we make this alliance, and we're now helping them to develop. Uh, and it's mutual, you know, because they are also helping us to develop as a, and grow as a, as a restaurant and as a gastronomic proposal. So, so we are a lot in, in this kind of collaborations, which is, which is actually... The hardest job uh, in this kind of restaurant, you know, mm -hmm. where where food, where the producers are the stars, and they're really hard to get them in, you know, and we have to make a lot of these alliances and, and a huge social impact, mm -hmm. you know, to 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 make our gastronomy grow and and 
as it's a restaurant and also as a, as a person. So, you know. That was um, one of my favorite things about getting to, you know, spend time with you and the other chefs is seeing how much um, there's this culture of celebrating the ingredients, but also recognizing the people that grow the ingredients and making sure that they're taken care of and uh, they can feed their families. And it's this like beautiful ecosystem of people supporting each other. Exactly. Exactly. So very important. It's a priority nowadays. So when you go into Statera and you sit at your your table, there's these beautiful centerpieces that have um, uh, crustaceans in them and tubers and moss and you know branches, and it represents all these different ecosystems that are part of Peru. And then as you eat through the tasting menu. You, you get to travel to all these different sections of Peru. Uh, one of my favorite dishes was um, the, the dish inspired by the mangroves uh, with the, yeah. yeah. Can you describe that dish? Yeah, so basically that dish was talking about the centerpieces. I normally put the, the produce that we're going to have on the tasting menu and try to create a, a small vision of the menu uh, a short and quick vision of the menu uh, with the different produces that we're going to have, the ones that we don't know, because it's very important, apart from telling a story and about from serving food for us to 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 to, to know more, no, about, about what, what what we what are we eating, you know, and give a bit more of value to our work on researching and bringing the produces. You know? So uh, this piece of the mangrove was was. Developed when in one of our last journeys with me and my team to the north of Peru to the mangroves, in which we find the mangroves in Peru are exactly under the equator line. So it's actually really, really, really hot and humid, very tropical. So in this place, we found these, these shellfish that were lying underneath neat, the, the mangroves mm-hmm. between the mud and, 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 and the woods and branches. And when the tide was low, the sea tide was low, you had the opportunity to dive and extract the shellfish, you know. But they were really hot. And the interesting part is that they are used to this climate. So if you put them on the fridge, they'll die. You must keep them underneath uh, a room temperature, out, outdoor, so they can still alive for, for six, seven, until ten days. So I thought that was amazing. And I brought them alive in my pack, in my luggage, I remember. <laughs> you put the them in your luggage? <laughs> from the north of Lima, yeah. It was crazy because <laughs> they were alive. And I keep them on my roof, uh, on my rooftop of the restaurant between the, where I keep my my edible flowers and I have my small garden. Mm-hmm. And I kept them there and they stay alive for a week. Wow. And between the lapsus, these this kind of this edible plant came from the highlands. A supplier brought us. This, they are called lentejas verdes, so it's like green chickpeas. But they are normally known here in Peru as, as like a, a seaweed, a wheat that kills uh, the, the environment of the lagoons because mm-hmm. they are they just grow on the top of the lagoon 
and they absorb all the light and it kills the 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 algae at the bottom of the sea because they don't get any light. No? But they are, they have a huge amount of protein, more than soy, the soya beans, you know. So they arrive and I developed this dish of the biggest uh, mangroves in the world with the highest uh, lagoon in the world, you know. So it was pretty interesting making this kind of produce that they will never see their faces in, in normal, in any normal or common day. And, and we make we make a, a nice marriage there, and, and uh, we try to compose and develop like a new ecosystem, which was really interesting and, hmm. and challenging for us. You know? When and you the, the shellfish from the mangrove and the seaweed and the algae from the, and the highland lagoons. Mm-hmm. When you are creating a dish, do you does that come into your mind as soon as you see the ingredient, or do you take it back? Um, do you take an ingredient that you're unfamiliar with? Do you take it back to the kitchen and like conceptualize a dish after playing around with it? Like when does inspiration yeah, strike? Yeah, definitely we have already uh, established process, uh, a creative established process. Uh, actually, I am sitting down in my office and I am making the new tasting menu right now, which <laughs> is changing the dramatically the concept. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, about talking, I have a, a process that uh, any produce that arrives to the restaurant, we work them in around 20 different ways, between 15 or 20 different ways. For example, yesterday a cactus arrives, and I first peel the cactus, try the cactus with the skin, without the skin, freeze it, mm-hmm. melt it, mm-hmm. carbonize it, put it into a jelly, put it into a siphon, make many kinds of different things. Okay. They're like around between 15 and 20 different textures that we normally play with. Uh, uh, we filter the most interesting ones from the from the producers, and then I just register them. And then when this time arrives, I open my my my, my book or my register workout book, uh, and the process the processes the process starts, and it's easier for me to to develop. You know? And become more challenging. Hmm. Um, for listeners that haven't been to Peru or maybe aren't familiar with Peruvian cuisine, how do you describe it? Sorry, sorry, I, I didn't. How do you describe Peruvian cuisine? Yeah, well, Peruvian cuisine definitely is based on family cuisine, sharing food, joy, happiness. It, it, it always seems about sharing, not sharing moments, uh, uh, very familiar, you know, mm-hmm. very tasteful food, happy people, and family. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's, if I want to resume Peru, it would be like that. Sharing, family, and tasty food. Do you feel like you're making traditional Peruvian cuisine, or do you think you're doing something completely different? I think that it was something that I was just discussing today. The base for me, to be a chef that it's trying to represent Peru, and actually it's representing Peru, uh, uh, we have some duties, you know, when, 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 when we work in, in, in any 
I have a duty of representing my country, my restaurant, you know, and the base of this is to to first know traditional uh, Peruvian cuisine. It's if, if, if we go and uh, deep in my my menus and my dishes, there's there's so much traces of Peruvian cuisine. But probably a bit of both or a bit uh, changed by, by, by new techniques or by new aesthetics. And, and, and it's 100% Peruvian cuisine. Mm. Um, so I mentioned in the intro that you, you opened your restaurant, a very ambitious restaurant in Lima at 26 years old. Are you still yes, 26 exactly. or did you turn 27 yet? I'm I'm 27. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be 28 at the end of the year. Okay. Or so next year, yeah, next year. You're you're 27 and a, a restaurant owner. That's incredible. Yes, it was very challenging for mm-hmm. me uh, because well, I've been working uh, as a cook and 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 lastly, well, as a chef for my last 11 years actually. Now, between 10 and 11 years, which are I find it was uh, enough time to, to take the next step. Mm-hmm. I also want to to grow, be evolve, uh, uh, and have a family. You know, when I'm 36 to 37, and uh, uh, I live uh, and live a less crazier and and, uh, and and more peaceful life. You know, more of a family life. Mm-hmm. So I think it's now the time to rush, uh, taking advantage of our energies, of my energy, you know, mm-hmm. my age, and, and and it's beautiful. It's amazing the the challenge that I accept accepted to live at my age uh, definitely changed my life completely. But I enjoy it every day of my life. So I'm really really pleased and happy for mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but first, before we take a break, I wanted to tell this quick story about, um, you are so calm and like level headed about your restaurant. We were on a train to, um, Machu Picchu, uh, when I was in Peru and, um, when we met and you were on a phone call and you looked serious and I asked you if everything was okay. And you're like, yeah, you know. I just opened up a restaurant like a couple weeks ago, so things are crazy, but it's fine. And then you just like looked out the window, and I was like, "Wow, he's very calm." <laughs> <laughs> so I think you have the right temperament for the job that you have and for being a chef. And congratulations! Thank you, thank you, thank you a lot. <laughs> so we're gonna thank take a both. quick break, and we'll be right back with more with Chef Andre Petzias. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave Age cheeses, 
Appenzeller, Tete de Mon, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit meusa.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Coral Lee, and I'm the host of Meant to be Eaten here on HRN. Every week, I look at cross-cultural exchange in food and contemporary media. What determines authenticity? What, if anything, gets lost in translation when cooking foods from another's culture? You can find Meant to be Eaten wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, so we are back with more A Hungry Society with Chef Andre Patsius. Um, so, Chef, let's uh, let's talk about your background um, with, you know, growing up. Uh, do you have any, like, early memories of, of dining? Were there any traditions that your family had? Okay, so actually, for, for, for being really, really honest, I haven't. I, I didn't have this this kind of uh, of life or chi- childhood that I remember seeing my grandma cooking or or my mother cooking. Uh, I was actually very creative since since I was a child, uh, I, but I always was connected with nature. Uh, mm. I was always planting my carrots, my lettuces in my garden, uh, and harvesting them. You know, I remember that. That's a, a memory that I have from when I was a child. Uh, yes, basically, then I grew up. I was studying uh, environmental engineering, mm. looking this connection again with nature. Then I didn't didn't do well because uh, you know administrative administration and math and numbers. You know, I'm not so good at it. I'm not so good. So then I I moved from career and I started studying. Uh, agro-engineering, which is really similar, uh, but it happened the same. Then I got a bit wild in my my 60s and 70s, and, and just a couple of years there, and my parents, my father actually told me, you know, Andre, you should go and try, this is your last chance that I can support you with your studies, and you can just, uh, why don't you go and try to, to study for being a chef? And he sent me to Paul Bocuse. Mm. That's where, where where my life changed, you know? Mm-hmm. So you... I, I never picked up a pan or a pot before I went to Paul Bocuse, you know? Mm-hmm. You had a garden when you were little. You had carrots and lettuces growing? Yeah, when I was a, 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 when I was a child, I remember that clearly, you know? Every time my mom, like... I, I, I make her holes in her garden, then she covers them, then I make them again and harvest. <laughs> and yeah, I was, I, don't, uh, I, I just remember that. You were a farmer at like six or seven years old. <laughs> yes, yes. Sort of a farmer. <laughs> so tell me about uh, going to culinary school. What What was that? like for you like you know you had never picked up a pot or a pan before but you just kind of jumped in like what was that experience like yeah it was because I, it was also a, a, a an emotional it was an emotional mental moment in my life that i was uh, needed to make a change mm-hmm. to to for my future and and well i i i decided to go there because my my father Give me this last chance, and, and I remember I have the moment uh, safe in my my memory that I was cooking like my, my chef was 
making these these we're making like say bolo bolo red sauce mm. Italian red sauce bolognese salsa bolognese so uh, he was he got this this grondo made out of copper really shining and it was this sunlight uh, beam that went across the whole window of the kitchen and he he was like sizzling the starting to fry the shallots garlic and abuke garlic no and i fell in love of that moment no? mm. and from that moment and until now i haven't stopped cooking and my priorities my way of seeing life and and everything has changed you know for for good definitely mm. so do you ever have time to like go out to eat now or are you in the restaurant 24/7 No, I, I have the, the the opportunity to move uh, like one block from my restaurant, so I live one block from my oh, wow. from So it's really really comfortable being being so close. Uh, and nowadays, I've I've established a a really solid and concrete team that uh, have given me the, the opportunity after well, a long process of of working together. To probably take uh, have the opportunity to have lunch with my with my girl, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm normally 24/7 here. Mm-hmm. It's my life. It's it's the only thing I think about every day. So it's hard to to let it go. Mm-hmm. When you have a, a day off or a night off, where do you go out to eat? Definitely Sundays I I I love going to Lamar, which is this restaurant from Gaston, in in the same street of the of the Tatera. Mm-hmm. That's on Sundays. Uh, I love having ceviches, whole fishes, uh, really fresh seafood. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I also love. Uh, eating in this place called called what what it's is a, it called it's a Thai, it's a it's a Thai restaurant in Lima okay uh, but but I'm I'm always trying to to go and eat in different places mm-hmm. hmm so um I have a set of questions I ask every guest um Can you tell me about one of the worst dining experiences you've ever had? One of my worst dining experiences I've ever had mm-hmm. as a chef or as a client. <laughs> Either. <laughs> as a client. Uh, oh, that's hard. Uh, you know why it's hard? Because I normally go in a mood of having fun. Mm. When I go to it, no. So definitely analyze everything, but I had a bad experience when I went to it. Well, I had one bad experience. I remember in, in the beach, but I got a, a screw on my ceviche. You had a screw in your ceviche? Yes. Oh my god. Yes, it was. It was, uh, it was hard. You know, I I I I bite the, the screw. <laughs> Oh no! Close to lose a piece. 
Is it hard to go out to eat now that you own a restaurant and you like have to, you know, create exceptional meals all the time? Like, is it hard to go out to eat and just be a diner? Like, do you see things as a, as a chef all the time now? Yeah, definitely the, the perspective now to now, now is very different. You're always thinking and evolving and, and growing and, 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 and trying to take the best of, of any situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time I'm, I'm, I'm having dinner, you know, apart from, from, from enjoying food, I'm always like, uh, overlooking and overthinking in, in the things that I'm looking that are around me, that are surrounding me in the restaurants, no? So, Nowadays, if, if I go to eat, the, the perspective I have in the in the table is much more different than I used to have eight to ten years ago, which mm-hmm. I don't like actually, because I enjoy them more before. Mm-hmm. So, um, another question that I always um, ask my guests is, if you could have your last meal in a restaurant, where would it be, and who is invited? I have to have the last meal. Where will be my last meal? Oh, that's a nice question. <laughs> it's hard. That's a really <laughs> nice question. Yeah, it's definitely really, really hard. Really hard. <laughs> Do you know what? It, it can probably be, and it's great, yeah? But I never remember this. This lunch, it would probably be at Kike Acosta. Okay, where is that? In Spain, in the south of Spain, in Denia. Okay. In Valencia. It's uh, I. It was where where I, one of my first jobs. It's a three Michelin star in in in, in Denia, where I have a, a forty-two, the tasting tasting menu forty-two course menu mm-hmm. it was huge that he didn't sell either it was amazing the best place menu I've ever had in my life mm. and I will do it with my mom oh you would do it with your mom okay just you two sorry would it just be you two or would you invite other people I'm good with my mom <laughs> definitely definitely she 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 she's the one that make everything possible here in the restaurant and I I owe her so much uh, and I have this amazing connection with her so so if you it have to be my last meal I'll definitely do it with her in Benia in that in that small beach in front of Ibiza which is amazing yeah I'm mm. I'm, I'm I'm really sure with my answer. <laughs> And what what are you drinking with your tasting menu? What would I be drinking? A gin tonic. A gin and tonic. Okay, that's very classic. Yes, yes, I'm a gin and tonic classic. <laughs> Do you have a preferred <laughs> gin? Like, is there a favorite combination that you have? No, I just I go really classic, really old school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just a, I'm a gin fanatic. I have here at my restaurant like. 73 different types of jeans. Wow. I love it. Excellent. I've been drinking a gin tonic a day. Make, makes our body healthier. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you stronger. 
makes yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being uh, my guest today. And um, can you let listeners know how to find out more about your restaurant? Uh, yeah, so to search, to, to see to see more about the restaurant, you can go to www.estaterarestaurante.pe Dot P-E. And to our P-E, and to our Instagram account, which is Estatera Rest. Rest. Estatera Rest. And you have your own Instagram account as well. Yeah. My own Instagram account is Andre Patsias M. Andre Patsias M. Thank you so much, Chef. It's It was great to catch up with you. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing your food while I was in Peru. Thank you, Korsha. It's been a pleasure hearing from you again and, and whenever you want. I have to get back to, to Lima. You, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I want you, you here so you can taste the, our evolution. Yes, and gin and tonics. All 73. And gin and tonics, definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Korsha, for your time. I really. Thank you, Chef, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week on A Hungry Society. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.